Hello, and how you doing? This is Hi, Just Saying Sports with Jake. Here with Sean Dwyer. What's up? So uh, this week, uh, since the NCAA tournament went a little awry, we're going to take a step back and go into some other news. Uh, NFL free agency just recently started, and there's been some really big yeses and nos, uh, big signings, and still some pretty big people out there who uh, we're going to tackle all these topics here in the show. Um, but just to get started off with, uh, we got a little segment here to begin that, you know, has really been picking at my bones. So, uh, Sean, why don't you tell the guys uh, what we're uh, about to talk about? Uh, well, recently, you know, Kirk Cousins signed his three-year, $84 million deal with the Vikings. And so that got us talking over the weekend about doing a segment on quarterback salaries. You know, where, where do they go from here? Do they go up more? Do they kind of level out? What's the, what's the deal? All righty. So um, this has been something that's been picking at me for a long time. Uh, you know, once Matt Stafford signed that, that biggest contract in NFL history after, uh, you know, last season, this really has been a recurring issue with these quarterbacks. So, you know, how we got here, uh, it all kind of started off with Kirk Cousins. Um, the Redskins, they got cold feet. They didn't want to re-sign him to a long-term deal. So they franchise tagged him multiple years in a row. And I don't know if you guys know, but, you know, every time you franchise tag a player, the percentage goes up. And it's an average of the top five salaries at your position in the NFL. So if I'm not mistaken, Kirk Cousins started off around twenty-three and a half to twenty-four million dollars in his first year of a franchise tag. Am I right, Sean? Uh, I believe that's correct. All righty. Now his second year went up another couple million, which is going to push him up to twenty-six, which is already higher than most quarterbacks were at that point in the league. So now the question comes in: Was after all these, you know, quarterbacks were going to have to re-up on their contracts? How much is this going to cost? And the first thing that happened was the Lions signed Matthew Stafford to a $27 million a year deal, which at the time was the largest contract in NFL history. So, Sean, what were your thoughts on that to start off with? Well, I think the Matthew Stafford deal came about and was made possible by the fact that Kirk Cousins was given those franchise tags by the Redskins. I think that, in essence, kind of drove the price up for the quarterback market across the NFL. Because you look at it and the guy like Matthew Stafford, well, he can go, well, you know, I'm just as good as Kirk Cousins. That's what I should make. And so then in the next couple of years, I think you're also going to see that number of $28 million where Kirk Cousins is that go up. Because you've got guys like Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers' deal coming up where they go, well, those guys have zero playoff wins. Aaron Rodgers has a Super Bowl. Matt Ryan has a Super Bowl appearance. So the price is only going to go up. And I think that can all get tied back to – the Redskins of course now think about it this way Matt Ryan Aaron Rodgers what else do they have in common MVP okay these are the type of guys who I believe deserve a contract like this you know most most quarterbacks in the NFL make between 21 and 23 million um, and those are the star quarterbacks uh, you know just for reference uh, Drew Brees became a free agent this year uh, he just drew Brees. Remember this has the most completions in NFL history, the highest completion percentage. He's a Super Bowl winning quarterback, and you know he's been ingrained with the Saints for 12, 13, 14 years. This guy 
is the type of guy who deserves a large contract. And you know how much he got signed for? $25 million a year. That's still lower than any of these guys. Matthew Stafford, Kirk Cousins, and Jimmy Garoppolo, which I'll get to in a second, who have almost amounted to zero division victory or zero conference division victories or zero playoff wins. And they are getting more money than any of these, to me, much more deserving quarterbacks. Obviously, contracts have to go up. Things have to change. And it's always going to go forward. But I think that this is absolutely ridiculous. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo has seven career starts. Granted, he's 7-0 and in those career starts, and he seems to be a very promising quarterback. But to give him $27.5 million a year has to hinder your franchise. I believe the same thing with the Lions. Now, with the Minnesota Vikings giving Kirk Cousins that much money, it doesn't do as much to their franchise because they have already built a young team around him before he even got there. So this is something that I, I really think is a point of emphasis is if you can pay somebody like Kirk Cousins to bring into a team and make the difference with your weapons like Adam Thielen, you know, Stephon Diggs, uh, Delvin Cook will be back, you know, even got a good t- uh, tight end in Kyle Rudolph. These are the, the things that make your offense worth it. You can't just pay one quarterback all this money and not build around them. Look at what the Lions have done. They just signed LeGarrette Blunt on an incentive-based deal. That's fantastic. But LeGarrette Blunt is old. LeGarrette Blunt isn't going to be a running back of the future like Delvin Cook can be, or even Carlos Hyde in San Francisco. You know, but he, he's even gone. You know, this is something this is something that they have to build around. So now what does San Francisco do at a running back position when they need to pay their quarterback way too much money? Well, I think Carlos Hyde also he just recently signed with the Browns. Yeah, he just left. That's what I mean. So what are they what are they gonna do now? Draft. San Francisco's got a lot of draft picks, they got a lot of cap room. Um giving Jimmy Garoppolo they had almost a hundred million in cap room, giving Garoppolo his piece of the pie, however much they gave him. They're still working with somewhere around seventy five million dollars in cap room. I think that they through the draft and through free agency over the next two years are in a better position than I think most people think they're in right now. I think 49ers made the right move and locking down Garoppolo to that deal. Um, Kirk Cousins of Minnesota had the cap room. They have a good team around them. They should have done it. The Matthew Stafford deal is, I think it's an outlier. And I think that's where we start talking about the market dictating quarterback contracts. Because the Stafford deal is an outlier in me and the fact that they've got nothing around him. I know people around here like to make arguments for Golden Tate. You know, people are high on Kenny Galladay. But at the end of the day, those guys aren't an Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs. Um, I know San Francisco doesn't have a lot, but they're going to. They have draft picks, and the Lions don't. That's a plus side. That's a plus side, exactly. You can't tell me that having Golden Tate, who is really a glorified slot receiver who's only good after the catch or after contact, is a suitable weapon for a $150 million man. I'm sorry. You know, there's so many other options out there, not just for, I'm not saying for quarterbacks, but to try and finagle this a different way. The the Lions are only dealing with like eight or $9 million in cap space right now. That's barely enough for one suit for one person to make a difference. 
So that's going to be a, a topic of conversation coming on a little bit further down the line. But uh, my biggest point is, is if you're going to pay the highest contracts in NFL history, regardless of the trends, regardless of, you know, the market value of these quarterbacks, what kind of contracts are we going to have to see for those guys like Aaron Rodgers and Matt, uh, Matt Ryan here in the coming years? They are going to have to be absolutely outrageous. I think they're going to be pushing 30 to $35 million a year. Which is crazy for the NFL. For, for people who don't realize, you know, there's linebackers who play all 16 games out of the year and they make $1.2 million. This is this is ridiculous paying one player in the NFL thirty five million dollars when your cap space is around one hundred and eighty million. Yeah, when you've only got the cap space, and it's you know, NFL is not like the NBA where they have the salary cap and not a hard cap. The NFL, the salary cap is a salary cap. That's a it's a hard cap, and so when you're giving that much money to quarterback, I think it opens up. You know, well, we've got to pay our quarterback. But we're going to start seeing more and more star players in other positions, I think, hitting free agency. Yeah, and when they do, I think these contracts are going to be getting outrageous, and it, it might even force the NFL to try and raise a salary cap. Or we're going to hit a, uh, a position where the NFL doesn't raise a salary cap. We're going to start seeing guys go into training camp into week one, I think, with no deals until you know, injuries work out. And people, mm-hmm. people's hands are forced. But I think the quarterback salaries getting up and up the way that they are, I think that's not a good thing for the NFL. I think we're eventually going to hit a point where what are we going to do? Well, it's going to have to stop at some point. Yeah. All righty. Now, uh, just to get off a little heated topic for us, uh, we're going to go ahead and move on into our next segment. All right. First free agent deal we're going to touch on is Richard Sherman leaving, getting cut by Seattle and moving to the 49ers. Now, one really big point about this is after he got cut by Seattle, uh, he did not hire an agent. He went out and negotiated his own contract with the 49ers. It's very heavily incentive-based, but it really just shows the confidence that he has in himself, and I think that's what's played into this decision. You know, it depends on how many games he gets to play, how many percentage of snaps he plays, um, it becomes pro ball, it becomes all pro, all that good stuff. And I think that we've seen over the last five or six years, Sean, that Richard Sherman is probably one of the most confidence play- confident players in the entire NFL. You know, he uh, went ahead and went to an in-division rival so he can play the Seahawks twice a year, which is, you know, I think he really wanted to do that. Yeah, I think that was definitely a conscious decision on his part. Definitely staying in the division getting the crack at Seattle after the relationship there kind of deteriorated after two years. And so I think he just wants a chance at redemption against them. Next up is Teddy Bridgewater moving from the Vikings to the the Jets, I mean. And then the Jets also saying they have plans to bring back McCown. But yeah, now this is a good deal and a bad deal. I think it's a good deal for Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, he's going to have a good chance to prove himself a chance to fight for a starting job. It's only a one-year deal for Teddy Bridgewater, but he hasn't had much time to really show everybody what he could do in the NFL. He injured his knee really early on in his career, and he hasn't had a chance to play again. But having somebody like Josh McCown as a backup or having him as somebody who can, you know, teach 
teach Teddy Bridgewater the ropes on being a starting quarterback because he has been a journeyman across so many teams and had to adapt so much. You know, he's coming off one of his best seasons ever. That's Josh McCown. Uh, but the big thing for the Jets is, is I think this is a bad deal for the Jets because it doesn't address their issues of not having a quarterback for the future. They've been searching for a quarterback for five or six years at the very minimum, all the way back to Mark Sanchez and Brett Favre. Yeah, I think it doesn't really make sense for the Jets to add another quarterback, especially when they've just traded up the third pick in the draft. And a lot of people think they're going to go quarterback there. So adding Teddy Bridgewater and then committing to McCown at least for another year and then possibly adding in a rookie doesn't seem like a great situation for that rookie to come in and have full confidence of the coaching staff and thrive off day one. Mm-hmm. Moving on, Jordy Nelson, in a shocking move, was cut by the Packers and then signed with the Raiders. Now, this is something that Sean and I had talked about over the weekend when we first saw it, and just think this is ludicrous. I never would have expected Jordy Nelson to just get up and cut by the Packers, especially with the chemistry that Aaron Rodgers has had with Jordy Nelson in their career together in Green Bay. Jordy Nelson, since his career started, has the most red zone targets, the most red zone touchdowns, and he's been injured a bit, you know, and he still has those numbers. But, you know, I think it's a good deal for him to go over to the Raiders. I think he's really going to be a good fit over there. He's going to have a good quarterback with Derek Carr. And being across from Amari Cooper is going to take a little bit of pressure off of Jordy. You know, I think it'll let him become the great – not become, but stay and – thrive in the role that he the great route runner that he is and he won't always be going up against the number one cornerbacks you know he's gonna have an opportunity to have a little bit of a breakout year here in in Oakland and the other big thing I know you wanted to touch on this Sean was that you know the Packers signed Jimmy Graham after they cut Jordy Nelson yes um they made a deal and they made Jimmy Graham the top paid tight end in football I don't necessarily think that fits the Packers' history. You know, they've never been the organization to go out and make flashy free agent moves. A lot of character for them, this whole situation. They might be trying to, you know, set up Aaron Rodgers for a bigger run in the late end of his career. But I don't think that happens by cutting his top wide receiver. Yeah, I, to me, I don't think that Jimmy Graham can make up for the production that Jordy Nelson has had. I know Jordy's had some injuries, but since Jimmy Graham left New Orleans, when everybody was talking about how he should have gotten paid as a wide receiver because he was getting catches and all this stuff, I think he's been on a downward turn for the last three or four years, and the Packers didn't really fix anything after they cut Jordy Nelson by signing a a tight end. No, they didn't. Staying with uh, wide receiver moves, we're going to go to Allen Robinson leaving Jacksonville and signing with the Chicago Bears. Now, I really like this move by Allen Robinson. Uh, I don't think that he got his due in Jacksonville. I don't think that we actually seen his full potential. A couple of years ago, he did have quite a few touchdowns and nearly 1,000 yards yards receiving with Blake Bortles at the helm. And, you know, if Mitchell Trubisky is more comfortable on that Bears offense, the Bears are going to have a more balanced attack this year with Jordan Howard in the backfield, you know, having Trubisky able to throw to a guy like Allen Robinson. And I think he really will make a difference on the Bears. Yeah, I think he slides in and kind of takes that role that Alshon Jeffrey had as being the Bears' go-to guy down the field. So, next, staying with wide receivers, we have Sammy Watkins going to Kansas City. 
leaving the Rams. This doesn't make much sense to me on Kansas City's part because they made Sammy Watkins the fourth highest wide receiver in the NFL. Now he's making $16 million a year, and I don't think at any point in his career has he showed any type of production that deserves that. Uh, he was down in Buffalo with not the best quarterback in Tyrod Taylor, but he was supposed to come out and do huge things. He got hampered by a couple leg injuries, and he just never really panned out in Buffalo. So last year, he went out to L.A. with the Rams, and that was the highest-powered, highest-scoring offense in the NFL last season with Jared Goff and Todd Gurley. And the thing was is he still wasn't the man of that offense. There was Robert Woods and everybody taking these targets from him, and it's not like he showed out like these other top-paid guys like DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Evans, or Antonio Brown. So I think he's just a complimentary piece to what Kansas City has going on with Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Kareem Hunt. But I don't think paying him $16 million to be the guy was a very good decision by Kansas City. No, paying him $16 million a year definitely doesn't work out. I think the personnel part of the move, adding another wide receiver, made sense for Kansas City. I think that overpaying for Sammy Watkins is going to come back and hurt them. I think Sammy Watkins probably gets cut within two years. But the Chiefs need help at wide receiver, and so he's going to fill that role right now and probably get be a helpful piece to get Patrick Mahomes' first year starting off to a good his career off to a good start. Yeah, and I mean, Sammy Watkins is a much bigger receiver than much of the, most of the guys they have. Uh, you know, he is a tall, big, meaty dude, not like Tyreek Hill who's jumping and squeezing. So I think he will be, you know, a bit different feel on that offense than what they're used to. Another former Minnesota quarterback, Case Keenum, you know, led the Vikings almost all the way there last year. He gets a big deal out in Denver. Now, this was that quarterback carousel everybody was worried about um, with all three of those guys coming out of Minnesota. I really think Case Keenum is a great fit for Denver. Going down to John Elway, you know, Case Keenum is a game manager. He's not a superstar quarterback who's going to make those tight window throws or those 60-yard bombs. And the thing is, he doesn't have to with a team like Minnesota or a team like Denver. They have a solid defense behind them. And I think that's what he's going to be able to lean on like he did in Minnesota. You know, even when they lost Dalvin Cook and they had some injuries throughout the year in Minnesota, Case Keenum still showed production. He doesn't care if he's only passing the ball 25 times a game. He's one of those guys. So that's the type of thing with the right leadership and the right team around him. I think that's a good place for Case Keenum to actually succeed. Stepping into a situation in Denver, is it's kind of stepping into his – similar situation he just left with Minnesota where you've got a good defense behind him and he has some weapons on offense. I think his numbers probably not going to get up to the point where they were in Minnesota, but I think he does fill the need that the Broncos had at the quarterback position since Peyton Manning left. Yeah. They were just scrambling, you know, drafting quarterback after quarterback, trying to find somebody to do it. And I really think making a, a veteran move really was the right answer for him. And then finishing off the Minnesota three-headed quarterback monster, Sam Bradford goes to the Cardinals on a one-year deal for $20 million. And now they guaranteed him $15 million of this, which doesn't bother me at all because this is kind of what they need to do. You know, they're out looking at quarterbacks in the draft and such too, but 
there's no way that you want to give Sam Bradford any more than a year with how injury prone the guy has been. You know, he in the time that he's played, he has been a fantastic quarterback. And if you look at the numbers and the metrics, it, he's not a, he's not bad in the NFL. He just can't stay healthy. So you know, imagine if the Cardinals don't draft a quarterback and they give Sam Bradford a year. If he can make it through the whole year healthy, I could see them re-signing him on a longer-term deal for a two- or three- or four-year deal after the fact, which is, I think, what they're looking for, but it just depends on what Sam Bradford can do to stay healthy. I look at this deal as this kind of a Band-Aid deal. They're trying just to kind of bridge the gap right now between Carson Palmer, and I think they're going to go out and draft quarterback this year. I don't know what round. I don't know who but I think they're going to end up taking quarterback. And I think bringing in Sam Bradford for one year kind of gives them some leeway with a rookie kind of developing and making sure that they have a backup plan contingent on Sam Bradford's health, one. And number two, getting that rookie ready to take over when this deal ends. And then staying in the desert, we have the Cardinals cutting the honey badger, Tyron Matthew, and then him ending up in Houston. Now, this is obviously just a money move because I don't think any team in their right mind would want to leave a player like Tyron Matthew in the dirt. Uh, he's a game changer. It's not that every play he's the one to make it, but what it is is he brings energy to the field, and this is the type of guy that deserves a big contract, and you know the Cardinals just couldn't give it to him in the place that they were at. So him going to Houston I think is a pretty good fit. Uh, he's clo- a little closer back to his LSU roots, and I think he will fit in as a that middle-aged guy in a pretty veteran defense and will really shore up the back end of that secondary. And I think he, with the money that he's making now, he, he'll be happy there for a while. Yeah, him going to Houston fills Houston's role as needing a guy in the back end to make plays. They haven't really had a big playmaker in the secondary the past few years. I think Matthew steps in and fills that role instantly. The last individual player we're going to talk about today is Malcolm Butler. He leaves the Patriots for the Tennessee Titans and signs for a five-year whopping $61 million deal. Now, this is something that was very obvious was going to happen after the Super Bowl when Malcolm Butler didn't even play a snap. After playing, I believe it was something around 93% of regular season snaps for the Patriots. Now, I'm not quite sure what happened there, but one of the things that I've always seen with the Patriots is they have, they have their ways. And if, you know, if Malcolm wasn't on the train, I think they told him to get off. And I think one of the things was is a lot of the guys in the Patriots organization are expected to take pay cuts in order to create a bigger, better team around them and win championships. And if you look at the the contract that he just signed with Tennessee, it's quite obvious he wasn't wanting to take any sort of pay cut. He wanted more money, if anything. But the biggest problem I have with that uh, is that he really is still living off that Super Bowl play, not saying that he's at all a bad quarterback, not saying that he doesn't deserve a bigger contract than what the Patriots would have given him. But I do think that he hasn't, earned all 61 million of that yeah malcolm butler is he is a very serviceable he's a good nfl corner is he 61 million dollars good i don't think so i don't think you can put him in the top four top five cornerbacks which is what he's getting paid now 
he doesn't fit the bill for me there at that position. And so the Malcolm Butler deal leads us into our topic that we're going to talk on now. And that is you've got guys, um, Nate Solder, Dion Lewis, Malcolm Butler, Danny Amendola. You've got a lot of guys leaving New England this year, going on to different teams, more so than they have in the past. And I was just wondering, do you have any thoughts as to the reason why? Well, it was kind of one of the same things that I was saying before is I think that Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft have this master plan. They've had it for over a decade, you know, since Tom Brady got there. I think they've had this working, working, moving, melding plan that has made them the dynasty that they are. And like I said, if guys aren't willing to take pay cuts or if they're not willing to do exactly what they are asked and do their job on the Patriots, I basically think they're asked to leave. You know, if you don't want to be part of that team, if you don't want to be part of that dynasty, go and make your money elsewhere. You know, Bill Belichick will be able to find somebody else who wants to play for the Patriots. Think about him just scooping up James Harrison off of the technically third, third part of the depth chart for the Pittsburgh Steelers when he got released. Think about that. Now he's, you know, he's, he went with the Patriots, won a suit, got close to winning a Super Bowl, and he's – He's doing his job. So I think that's the thing is if you're not on the train, you need to get off immediately in New England. Yeah, my thoughts on that kind of fall similar with that is Bill Belichick, you know, we all know he makes most of the personnel decisions with New England. And I think he goes into contract negotiations with this is what we're willing to do. You know, we're going to give you this money years, this amount of money, and his contract's going to be like this. And I think if guys are – don't like it, I think Bill Belichick just simply points to the door and says, bye. Um, he has a system. It's proven. It works. And, you know, New England's lost big guys to free agency before. But think about some of the guys that they've brought in, too, when they've lost guys. They've brought in other names, so to say, on lesser money, and they filled in and gotten the job done and won Super Bowls. So I don't think this in the long run, even affecting this year, hurts the Patriots. I think they're going to be just as fine as they were last year yeah and I mean just to make a point I'm almost positive we talked about this the other day you know Nate Solder left and went and got a record deal that's not what the Patriots are going to do they're not going to give him max money playing the offensive line you know and I think that's that's exactly what we're talking about here all right so we're going to go ahead and go into our free agent bingo uh, we're going to go ahead and choose some destinations for top free agents, and we'll let you know who they are. So now we're going to get rolling into our type of free agent bingo, where we're going to give you six of the top free agents and give you a, a little background on where we think they're going to land up, what will be the best fit for them, and why. So we're going to go ahead and get started off right off the top with probably the biggest free agent left on the market, which is Ndamukong Sue. The Dolphins cut him, and now he has to basically take an extremely large pay cut to probably play anywhere else. So, Sean, where do you think Ndamukong Sue might end up? Uh, right off the top of my head, I'm going to say Los Angeles Rams. I think the Rams are in the lead, not just because of the visit that he took recently, the talks that they've had. I think he might professionally be leaning towards a situation where he's going to a team that's on the up and coming instead of where he got drafted in Detroit where he's a top pick and then going to Miami for all the money. 
I think going to the Rams, where it's a young team that's up and coming, is the best fit for him right now. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I think I'm leaning towards it was he was going to meet with the Raiders just today. Just canceled that right out after he met with the Rams. And the biggest thing is, is you know, he, he will get to go play with Aaron Donald on that defensive line. And everybody knows that that guy's the real deal. If those two guys played together, they would rip up the an offensive line. I don't care if it's the Dallas Cowboys or anybody else. That's a scary pair in the middle. Now, the reason why it might be able to work is, you know, the Rams still have a big cap space, but he's going to have to take a significant pay cut. And the way that I'd see it happening is only a one-year deal just to kind of give it a tester because Aaron Donald's deal is up at the end of this year too. And he's going to be the one to make the big money out in L.A., if they want to have a defensive tackle for the next five to eight years. So if they bring in a Dominican Sue on say a eight, $9 million contract, which is well under half of what he used to make, you know, he made $26 million in his last year with the dolphins, but I don't think there's any team in the NFL that is going to pay top dollar for Sue because he hasn't shown out in the last couple of years in Miami. And he's going to have to realize you're getting farther in your career. It might be a little bit more about winning at this point. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. Uh, next on the list is Brashad Breland, the cornerback from the Washington Redskins. Now, I'm not t- too savvy on uh, Breland, but the big thing is I know that the Redskins wanted to bring him back, but they weren't quite sure with the money, and he's had a couple issues, so they let him test the free agency. He almost signed a deal with the Carolina Panthers just this week, but he failed a physical. Supposedly he had a non-football injury, got a cut on his foot, and it got infected. And it's still, they said it's still going to be at least a month or two before he'll even be able to pass a physical. So I know no, no other team besides the Redskins is going to pick him up, I don't think, very soon. And if that's what happens, you know, normally the Redskins might be able to come back in on a bit lower contract offer. And key to get him to stay, even if it's just for another year until he gets to test a free agency again. But I think they'll be able to bring him back and keep him there just because of the issues that he's having right now. All right. Kenny Vaccaro, the safety for the Saints, is also still unsigned. Where do you see him headed? Now, there's a couple places that I think he could end up. But I think the best fit for Kenny Vaccaro would honestly be with the Detroit Lions. Uh, The Detroit Lions just lost DJ Hayden, uh, which was their number two corner. And they paid, uh, I can't remember his name right now. It's like Newsom or something like that. They paid him to be that number two cornerback. But what I think they could do is take Glover Quinn out of that, or not take Glover Quinn, sorry. Take Quandre Diggs out of that safety position and put him back where he belongs at corner and pay Kenny Vaccaro, you know, that, that five to $6 million range that, they want to get him to, you know, he's coming off a groin surgery. He missed a lot of the end of last year. So that's going to drive him down just a little bit. But if he gets into that secondary with Darius Slay, Glover Quinn, and then you got a very, very solid back four. If you put Quandre Diggs back in the corner, number two. So I think that would be a good work for him. The lions only have about seven and a half million dollars in cap. So I think they'd have to lowball him a little bit, but I think with that coming off that injury, if the Saints aren't going to re-sign him, he might end up with the Lions. Yeah, Kenny Vaccaro to me is, you know, a 
growing up kind of a Texas fan, you know, he's a name that I recognize. And I think you nailed it right on the head with the injury. I think coming off the injury, you know, the market for him, you know, he hasn't had any news come out or anything so far. So that kind of gets me thinking that he's probably going to end up staying in New Orleans. So to stay where he's comfortable coming off that injury, probably a low, low contract year for one year, kind of give himself an extra year to get back to where he wants to be going in the next year's free agency period. Yeah, no, that's definitely almost the type of Breland situation. It's hard to find a market for yourself as a free agent when you missed a significant amount of games the season prior, and he really isn't even back to form yet. So it's almost a gamble regardless. Former menace of the NFC North, Adrian Peterson. Now, Adrian Peterson's an old bat. He's an old bat. And, you know, he had a couple shining games down in Arizona last year. But he – it's not like he's asking for a whole bunch of money. The man – football. Depending on the, the amount of money that he does try to take, I do think the best fit for Adrian Peterson is out in Seattle. They, they are already running a three-running back rotation with C.J. Procise and Rawls and everything out there. And bringing in somebody like Adrian Peterson hopefully could push them back to those days when they had Marshawn Lynch and a power back driving through the line and being able to make only having to make a few plays a game. You know, they could sign him to a one and a half or two million dollar deal. And I think the guy would go play for somebody like Seattle. Seattle is still a contending team. They still win eight, nine, ten games a year. They can make the playoffs, win their division. And I think for an old veteran to go somewhere and play with like Russell Wilson on that offense would really help them out. And they don't have to pay Adrian Peterson very much because I don't think the market is that large for him. A guy that was last year, a kind of a hot name on free agency, didn't really get the deal he wanted, took a one year in Indianapolis. Jonathan Hankins has come back up. Now, this is something there. Actually, he took a three year deal with Indianapolis last year. Um, the reason why he was he was one of the last guys to go off the board last year because he was trying to get so much money. And it's the the Giants, you know, he played with the Giants before, and the Giants actually offered him the biggest contract until um, Indianapolis came in and offered him, I think it was three years, like $30 million. And after one year, they cut him, cut his contract. Now he's back on the free agency market. Big thing is, is I think he's, he's going to probably try to run into that same problem, asking for way too much money. And that's going to be a hard press for some people. Um, you know, a good fit for him if the Kenny Vaccaro situation doesn't, wake out, situation doesn't work out. I think he could be a good fit for the Lions, but they don't have enough cap space to do anything with Hankins. Now, I think he could go to somebody like the Washington Redskins, but it all depends on how this guy wants to negotiate his contract. We already saw last year, he might be asking too much, or he might overvalue himself according to the NFL. So that really does hinder your, you know, your breadth of opportunity. Yeah, you know, the, the money for him is going to be the big thing. How much is he asking for? But if the number is right, I think the place where he ends up going is Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta just lost Dontari Poe. They've been hurting mm-hmm. in the middle of the defensive line for a few years. Hankins is a big body guy. I think he could fill the role that Poe had last year. This is all if the number is right. If the number is right for Atlanta and it's right for Hankins, I think that'd be a great spot for him to end up. I could agree. 
And the last guy that we're going to talk about is an old, another veteran looking for a place to play in Navarro Bowman. Now, Navarro Bowman spent most of his career down in San Francisco, and he statistically ranks as one of the best, basically one of the top 10 inside linebackers of the last 10 years. He's only 29 years old. You know, he's been playing for a while, but there's one place and almost one place only I could really see, you know, Bowman on the back of the jersey next year. And I think it's going to be with the Houston Texans. They're rebuilding that defense, like I said. And Brian Cushing just announced his retirement. You know, longtime Texan Brian Cushing, that inside linebacker presence, all pro, pro bowl, all that good stuff, just announced his retirement. They need to fill that hole. And on a defense like Houston, you can tell they like the experience. And I think that that's going to be a good fit. He's a good run clogger. He, he averages about 100 solo tackles a year. When you add that to a defense like Houston, that's, that's going to be good. I know his contract, he's, he's, they, they say is going to be worth around 5 to $6 million a year. Um, and the, the Texans still have around $20 million in cap. They uh, own their other inside linebacker, uh, McKinney. He's got one year left on his deal. He's a young guy. He was drafted only in 2013, but he hasn't shown out like they expected. So I think Navarro Bowman would fit right in in Houston. Uh, yeah, I disagree. I think that Navarro Bowman's going to end up in Pittsburgh. I think the loss of Ryan Shazier in the middle kind of opened up a huge hole where Pittsburgh's going to have to address it during this stage in the game in the offseason. I think they're going to wait until after the draft. If they don't get a linebacker they want in the draft, I think uh, Bowman becomes a top target for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And so yeah, that, would definitely be a, that would definitely be a, a decent way to go. But they do say they think Ryan Shazier is going to make it back to the NFL. So you weren't going to put Navarro Bowman on a long-term contract if that's what they're really hoping for. No, I don't see Navarro Bowman getting a long-term contract from any NFL team, actually. I think his age and his kind of his past have played a part in where I think he's going to end up with a one- or two-year deal. And I think that also worked out great for Pittsburgh. One or two years, he fills that hole while Shazier's in rehab, and the contract expires right around where they think Shazier's going to come back. Yeah, that, that definitely could work out. Now, we just got one more topic here for our – show tonight the big question here at the end is another thing kind of with the free agency with Odell Beckham Jr.'s contract coming up a lot of people have been talking about how he said he wants to be the highest paid position player so non-quarterback in the NFL what do you think I think it's a ludicrous idea that he even has that in his head (laughs) I would definitely agree if you look around the league and you know not even in the across the country in like the same region, New York, you got Pittsburgh sitting there, and you've got Le'Veon Bell, who is still to get his long-term deal. Antonio Brown sitting there at $17 million a year. And I would like to talk to anybody who would value Odell Beckham Jr. over Antonio Brown. I think Antonio Brown is a, not above and beyond better than him, but when he's making – on average, 10 receptions a game. This guy has far surpassed what Odell did. And I think, I don't want to say, because a lot of people are going to come after me about this stuff, but I think that Odell is almost like a Malcolm Butler situation. It's not that the guy isn't a freak athlete or an amazing wide receiver, 
But I off a couple plays, he really made his name. And I remember for a whole year, all they did was, where's the one-handed Odell Beckham fingertip catch? And he's had Eli Manning, MVP, Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl champion. He's had a pretty decent quarterback. Uh, He hasn't played that well over the last few years. But he hasn't been the best wide receiver in the NFL at any point in his career. So I don't think he should be paid as the best wide receiver in the NFL, let alone the highest paid position player. Yeah, you also got Antonio Brown sitting there at $17 million. Le'Veon Bell is still going to get his contract. We don't know what that's going to go up to. And then another one that's kind of in that range is you got Von Miller sitting there at $19 million. I don't think any team is going to value Odell Beckham Jr. more than $19 million that Von Miller is getting paid at his position. Exactly. That's getting up into the quarterback salary range. There's most quarterbacks, like I said at the beginning of the show, get paid between 21 and $23 million. So you want to put them up at 20. If you look at something like a baseball stat, you know, like estimated wins, you know, gained by having Odell Beckham, I don't think it even would offset a $20 million deficit every year. There are plenty of guys in the NFL who you can find to do his job. And I could name a few just off the top of my head with Mike Evans and Antonio Brown and A.J. Green even, who make well less than $19 million a year. I think the only way that Odell gets this deal done the way that he wants it done is there's got to be a lot of things that come together. First of all, Eli Manning has to retire. Second of all, he has to get the deal done within the next year. And third of all, the Giants have to draft a quarterback. Because if they can get Odell Beckham at that $20 million range without having to be giving the money to a quarterback at the same time, I think the Giants make that move because, one, it's New York. Two, he's the best wide receiver in New York. And if they want to keep him, they got to keep him happy. But he's a franchise. He is their franchise player after Eli Manning is gone. And he will continue. I, I do not think the Giants will ever let him walk. And I don't think he would walk if he doesn't get the highest contract. I think the Giants, if their organization is smart enough, they'll tell him, temper yourself. We'll put you on a three year deal worth 17 million. Or that's, that's even too much. We'll put you on a three year deal worth 15 and a half or 16 million. We'll see how you do. And then when you get into your sixth year in the league, which is like what Antonio Brown is when you hit your, your peak as a wide receiver. That's when you're going to get that money. All right, guys, that is going to do it for us tonight. If we, if you hear us talking and you like it, be sure to share it with your friends. We would appreciate it greatly. And be sure to come back next week on the next episode of Just Saying with Jake and Sean. Signing off, I'm Sean. That's Jake. We'll see you next week.